I want to thank you this morning for your presence here. My assignment this morning is to encourage you as the people of God. We want to honor God. How many of you know God is rich in mercy? Amen. Thank him for his kindness and his love. We want to honor Pastor George and all of the elders, the members, officers of this beautiful church, uh, family and friends. Uh, we see you out, and it is a joy to be in your presence. I want to share with you, um, uh, through the cycles or circles of adoption, I want to look at um, Mark chapter 3. And I want to look at uh, verses 20 through 21, and then we'll drop down to verses 31 through 35. And we want to thank God for the baby that was baptized, the family. Praise God for your joy. Uh, we celebrate with you. Amen. And anticipating what God is going to do through the life of your child. Uh, if we are able to stand, can we? Please. Uh, verse 20, reading from the English Standard Version, says, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brother are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Scripture as it is written, the word of God is already blessed. Let's look at a few ties that bind. Amen. As we deal with the circle of adoption, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the things we find uh, in dealing with this very diverse area uh, that we live in uh, it is uh, multifaceted, multicultural, multi-ethnic. Uh, it is uh, a hot podge of, of, of uh, culture, uh, different ideas, plurality of thought. And it's wonderful that God has brought us to this area. For some of you, you've grown up in this area. For me, I am a transplant from East Oakland. Uh, my wife and I came here uh, some 17 years ago. Uh, but one of the things we learned in uh, coming from East Oakland and moving up here to the Pacific Northwest is we had to learn how to navigate through transition. We had to learn how to navigate in different places and different spaces uh, because we were no longer in the Bay Area. The climate here uh, is in the Bay Area is different because the Bay Area is really moderate. Right? It doesn't get too hot, it doesn't get too cold. Here we have all four seasons. And so it took a while to adjust. My family uh, was not here. So it was my wife and I and a call from God. Uh, we came in here. Amen. We sold our home, came up here. And as we were landing, 
I, I, I remember looking at, I don't know what the tallest, that real tall building, is it Bank of America? What is that tall building? What is it called? Yeah, I, I remember seeing it as we were landing and I, it hit me, oh my God. I told my father-in-law, and I'm thinking, I told this man I was going to take care of his wife. I mean, his mother, I mean, his daughter. And now I picked her up and told her, because God called me to Seattle, that she um, resigned from her job. We sold a house and we came up to a land that we know not because we follow God here. That God said, this is the place that I want you to go to. And so as we were landing, it became a reality that we were here. And so it hit me in my heart. But in that moment, I had to learn how to trust God. Because I recall my mom standing on the porch as she waved goodbye to us. And my older brother looking like, why is he going to Seattle? You know, he has a job here. He has a nice church here. They are rooted and grounded. Why are they moving? And I remember my mom looking at him and saying, uh, because God called him. Because God told him to go. And it was with that faith, we had to learn how to transition from one place to another. And as you're growing with God, UPC, it's important that you understand as God is moving you through the vision of next door, uh, that he moves you from that which is good to that which is better. And so once he moves you from that which is good to that which is better, what that which is better makes obsolete that which was good. But that which was good doesn't mean that it was never any good. It means it's reaped its ripeness, its maturity. It has gone as far as it can go. And now God has something better planned for you. And so as you embrace next door, then don't look at it and grieve because you're not the church you used to be, but embrace with great joy where God is taking you. Amen. Are you with me so far? It's important because as you navigate your, your circles, right, your community of family, friends, co-workers, right, what we understand theologically, all of these things begin to be challenged as God moves you from one place to another, as you go through a time of transition. William Bridges makes a distinction in his book, Managing Transitions, by saying that there's a difference between change and transition. He says change is situational. You retire, right? Now your situation has changed. You are, uh, are parenting. You, were, you didn't have a baby this day, and later on now you have another baby. Your situation has changed, but transition is psychological. Just because it's somebody who's retired, anybody retired in here? Re retired, amen. Just, just wink at me then if you... <laughs> you when you retire, just because your situation has changed, now you need psychologically to catch up to the transition that has taken place. Because just because you have now say, all right, I put in my papers. Now I'm about to embrace this new place that I am in the new space. Now, though, in my mind, I got to get my heart in my mind, especially if you married and you had kids that are now grown and out the house. See, because when you first got married, it was just you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. That's what I call my wife. She's still my girlfriend. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so we don't lose the passion and the joy. And then you go through kids in the house, right, who take up all your time. 
your, your, your thinking, your money, all of that. And then you get to that point where you can't wait till it's you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend again. Amen, right? And, and so, but now something has happened over the years because you and your boyfriend or your girlfriend, y'all used to being together uh, without the child and now with the child. And now that they're leaving, the person you first married mm -hmm, has changed. They've undergone a lot of change. Mm -hmm. And so now you have to adapt your thinking because you are not with the same person that you married those years ago, that you have to learn now to adjust and you have to learn now how to redefine your place and your space. And then you have to learn how to reframe how you think about things now because things have changed. You will get into conflict. You will get into trouble if you try to navigate in your new place the way that you navigate in your old place. You'll, you'll have conflict, you'll have discord, you'll have disagreement because you think that here is there and here is not there. This is not that. This was that, but now it is no longer that. This is not that. It is a different now place that you're in. Did that make sense to you? If not, just rewind on a CD or a tape and you'll get it on your way home. It's important that we learn how to make the transition. And as God is transitioning UPC, that it is important that you embrace what God is doing. But now as God is moving you to another place, sometimes familiar places and spaces now you learn that you're going to have to release some things. There are some things that you're going to have to let go. Those things, those relationships, those attitudes, those perspectives, they were good on one level, but now where you're going, you have to learn how to release them. Now, the problem is you've adapted your life to how things used to be. And now you have to relearn how to navigate in that new place, in that new space. Am I making sense to you? Amen. I know this is the 11 o'clock crowd. I know you all are so cool, uh, but I work better when you talk back to me. Uh, and so as, as we move through this, it's important as we talk about circles that adopt. One of the parts of uh, adoption, my wife and I, uh, it was nine years ago, uh, we sought to adopt a, a little boy. One of my uh, dear friends, I've uh, been knowing his, his little brother since he was eight years old. I'm 56 now. You can see it, 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 I've known him a long time. And, and this young man, uh, the reality had no business being a father, uh, right? He had no, him and the mother, they was, you know. And so we were on their, their list because they had to go through uh, some, you know, certain things uh, with, the, with the county. I'll put it like that, okay? I haven't told you anybody's names. I'm just, just giving you a hypothetical. Wink, wink. Uh, and, and so we sought at first, we were fourth on the list that of caretakers. And so when you're fourth on the list, you don't think that you would ever get the opportunity. And so the, the baby was four months old. And so the first person on the list fell through. And then the second person, on the, all of this is happening in about two weeks. The second person fell through. Third person fell through. So we received the call. You were fourth on the list. And so now, James and Tammy, uh, are you guys still interested in taking care of the child? And we said yes. So they brought the four-month-old uh, child to the house, and we began to make adjustments to our house. We began to paint a room because it was just me and my wife. We went out, bought baby beds, all the accoutrements uh, that, that come with being a parent of a four-month-old. 
And so as we're going through this process uh, to, to now be a foster parent, it had gotten to the point in the relationship that now uh, the, the county approached us and say, would you uh, be inclined to now adopt the little boy? And so we were so inclined. And so it started a process started a process in the adoption process. So in the adoption process, it's two-pronged. Uh, number one, the, the rights uh, of the natural parents has to now be released. They, they have to give those up. You can't adopt until the rights of the natural parents, until they either are stripped of them or they willingly give them up. But once that happens, now you go through a process of formally now redefining and reframing the relationship that you had with the child. Are you with me so far? Uh, and so there is, right, there's a, a release uh, uh, from the natural parents. They have to let something go. And then there is the appropriation and the process of the new parents. And that is giving now all rights and privileges to those who adopted. Well, uh, long story short, that we got to the 21 month uh, and, and the, the new parents or the old natural parents had a change of heart. It, 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 ne it never went through. Now, you don't have to be sad for us because we had been trying uh, for a long time to have a child. And it was through uh, our desire to raise and adopt this child that my wife became pregnant. And, and so we have an eight-year-old. Her name is Anaya, which means God has answered. Uh, see, because when we first got married, God made us a promise, the promise of Abraham, that God, that we would bear fruit. Amen. That God would give us a child. See, and all these years we were struggling and wondering if God was going to give us a child. We came up here because God had made us a promise. So we had to learn how to transition and navigate. I'm trying to get you somewhere. See, because as Mark is, is writing his gospel, Mark is seeking to help the church to navigate, to transition from way, one way of looking and being to another way of looking and being. So he says in the first chapter in verse 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, as it is written, and he talks about in the book of Isaiah, as God now has sent forth the forerunner in order to announce that a change is happening. So as the change is happening and transitioning, Jesus is moving and God is moving in a mighty and powerful way that I, blinded eyes are being opened. Uh, people are being healed. Jesus is going into places and spaces that ordinarily others would not go into. And we ought to be glad that Jesus didn't come here uh, in, the, in the terms of a priest. Amen. Because had he come as a priest, he would have now right, been confined to the local precinct. Amen. He, he wouldn't be able to touch people who were unclean. He wouldn't be able to touch. Come on now. See, it's good because his ministry would have only been at the church in the four walls of the temple. But because he didn't come in the priesthood and he was born of Judah, that now he can traffic in places where the religious wouldn't go. 
He would touch people that was unwanted to other folk, but wanted by God. He would go to people and love on people who were the unlovable. He went to the oppressed and the marginalized, those who were ostracized because they were different. And UPC, God is bringing you and has been bringing you into places and spaces with people who are different from you and different from me. Now, here's the challenge. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then we don't really have to put up with it. Amen. But those of us who know Jesus then have to learn that whatever pleases God ought to please us. Amen. Because we should have a heart for God. It is the apostle Paul who writes in the second chapter, I mean the second book of Corinth in the fifth chapter, I think around the 14th verse, where he talks about how the love of God or the love of Christ constrains him. Amen. That there is something that has seized him, something that has arrested him, something that compels him and impels him forward. There is something. And he says, I live for the one who, who lived for me. I live for the one who suffered, bled and died for me. And because he did that for me, he said, the best thing that I can do is live for the one who died for me. Are you with me here? And that ought to be our testimony church that we live for the one who suffered and bled and died for us. But one of the challenges in navigating transition is that if I am going to walk in the ways of God, right, coming out of the world, I have to learn what pleases God because I don't really know what pleases God until I read the will. When, he, when I read the book, then God begins to share with me those things that pleases him. And what pleases God is that we, as the people of God, we ought to go into all nations and now make disciples of all nations. He didn't say the people who look like you. He didn't say the people who work where you work. He didn't say the kind of people who are on the, soul, uh, the same social strata as us. We ought to go into all the nations, Thai ethnos, go to all people, of all ethnicities, of all cultures, of all languages, of all, we are to go and make disciples. That is to build relationship with those who may not look like us, who may not vote like us, who may not live where we live, who may, come on now, may not dress like we dress, who may not even smell like we smell. But yet we are like Mother Teresa who said, why did I go to Calcutta? He, she said, because I follow Jesus there. Why did I go among the HIV? because I follow Jesus there. Why did I go among those who are dying? Come on, because I follow Jesus there. And if we are going to be the people of God, then now our hopes, our desires, our will must conform to the will of God. But there are some things, that, amen, that challenge us. Because one of the things that, that challenge us, and Jesus always deals with, us, with this, is that there are people who follow Jesus just because the things that he does. Come on now. They don't know the heart of God. They don't know the face of God, but they know the hand of God. See, when you follow the hand of God, that is all you know God is in the things that he does. Come on now. Right? If he did this, then I know that that's God. God, I'm only interested in your hands. But as you grow in your relationship with God, you begin to look past his hand to his heart. You want to know the heart of God. It's, it's like I'm training my eight-year-old to not look at daddy's hands. See, because we'll go in the store and she'll say, Daddy, I want that. And I always say, well, who's going to buy that? See, and I need her kind of faith and confidence because she says, you are. And then she goes on about her business. 
See, and we need that kind of faith. Amen. We need the kind of faith that now, because she knows my heart, she knows that because she is my child and she's an obedient and faithful child, no good thing will I withhold from her. Amen. And so now she is learning my heart because now she's doing those things. And she said, I know this pleases my father. Amen. And I want her not only to please her earthly father, but also to train her to understand there is one relationship that transcends her relationship with her natural father. Because once we make it into glory, that tie is severed. And now only one that remains is her relationship with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. And so I have to teach her how to navigate even in the places and spaces she finds herself in. As a young African-American child, she goes to a school that's predominantly Caucasian, but yet she has to learn how to navigate in the places and spaces. And then they have to learn how to navigate in the same place and space. Why? Because they are one hue. Now, here's the thing I love about kids. We corrupt them because they just love on each other. It doesn't matter to them what, what ethnicity somebody, it doesn't matter to them the color of skin. It doesn't matter to them socioeconomic. It doesn't matter. See, they just love on one another. And you, it breaks your heart because you, you're looking and saying, one day somebody's going to teach you to hate the very person that you're loving on. One day, somebody's going to fill your soul with, with, with a toxic desire and that the person you used to embrace as your brother, now you, you are calling them names. Now you are saying that they're, they're this and they're that. And that's the challenge because God's going to hold us accountable for every deed that's done in our bodies. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Now, remember this. Uh, it's true whether you say amen or not. Our goal is how do I navigate the change? As Jesus is, is going through and he's ministering to, to the people, he's, he's trying to help them to understand how to now live in a relationship or live now uh, in, a, in a relationship that moves beyond that which is natural. How do I move beyond just simply uh, people who look like me, but I have to learn how to navigate and relate to other folk who don't look like me because it pleases almighty God. Are you with me so far? So God wants to draw us. The only way this is going to happen is we got to do two things, right? We said, number one, God redefines what the family is. So our perspective of what family is also has to be redefined. Mm -hmm. All right. See, because one of the challenges we face, uh, we faced in this state years ago, but uh, states are still facing is how family is redefined. Right. Is the family when I grew up. Right. I grew up and it was called the nuclear family. Y'all remember that? The nuclear family was uh, a man, a husband, uh huh, wife, maybe two kids and a dog. Right. That's how we define who family and in certain tribal cultures, the family extends to those who are part of the community. And yet, Jesus redefines who family is. See, because Jesus' uh, natural mother and his natural siblings had a problem with who Jesus was. They, they misunderstood 
what Jesus stood for. They, they misunderstood, and so they didn't know how to process what Jesus was doing in their lives. Look at me, if you will, at verse 20 and 21. It says, Jesus now, and he has been going throughout Galilee and Nazareth and Capernaum, and God has been doing mighty acts through Jesus, right? Uh, the deaf I have been uh, hearing, and, and the uh, blind with open eyes, man with a withered hand, demons are being uh, exercised, and Jesus is doing great work to such a degree uh, that crowds are beginning to follow Jesus everywhere he went. Because everywhere he went, lives were being changed. Everywhere he went, yokes were being broken and burdens being lifted because that's the kind of ministry when God is at work, you want to now learn how to conform your life and attitude, not to what uh, uh, tradition says, but what you are seeing as the activity of God. We have to learn because we'll learn like Mary and her, and her children, also the scribes, we'll learn that God's ways are not our ways. That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. There are times when God will blow our mind with who he would work with. If I was God, come on now, there's a whole lot of people I would never work with. <laughs> Amen. If I was God, there's a whole lot of people I wouldn't save. <laughs> See, y'all gonna make me, can we just be honest? Can we, come on, we in the church. Can we be honest? Are there some people that you tell God, I'd rather not? Come on now. Sometimes you had that Jonah spirit. Where, where I ain't going to Nineveh. Are you crazy? I know, no, I'm not praying for them folk. I'm not telling them nothing lest they hear and be redeemed and recovered. God, do you know the stuff they did? Well, maybe you don't believe Jonah. Remember Habakkuk, when God told Habakkuk that he was going to now bring in the Babylon, Habakkuk said, God, are you crazy? Huh, God, we mad, we bad, I know, but God, they worse than us. <laughs> and God, you mean to tell me that you could, come on now, Habakkuk was upset. He said, so you know what I'm going to do, God? Because I don't believe that. I don't believe that and I don't want that to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build me a little porch and I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to wait. And that's when God tells him to write the vision and make it plain. Y'all will get to that in a moment. It's important for us to recognize that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. amen. So as we grow then, this is what God is expecting. This is what God is expecting from University Presbyterian Church. God is expecting us to move past his hand, to move past the miracles and just simply having good intentions about the message to moving now where good intentions is matched with determined action. See, because I look, I can tell, I could have told my wife 20 years ago or 21 years ago that I wanted to marry her. Amen. But if I didn't give her a ring, all I gave her was what? Good intentions. Come on now. I, I made her an empty promise without corresponding action. I needed to do something in order to show that what I said I was going to do, my actions corresponded with my good intention. It's not enough that you come to church. It's not enough that you know and understand the catechisms. It's not enough that you sing in the choir. It's not enough that you usher or whatever position you hold in the church. Uh, you and I can have good intentions. We have to be about the things that God desires himself. Come on now. Amen. 
So as I look at this, because I understand God is trying to draw me and God is trying to bless me, but sometimes the way I think gets in the way. Amen. Because I told you, I got my own biases and prejudices. Anybody else got their own biases and prejudices? All right, I saw two people. (laughs) One, two over there. All right, we got got one like this. Amen. So I'm going to say that again so I, I I can help you out, okay? See, because right now you're making my point for you, for me. See, because we're in a Presbyterian church and you're used to sitting uh, very stoically with hearts open and minds attentive to what's going on. And so, Pastor, we are sitting here. But I just simply asked you to do something. And what I asked you to do took you out of your comfort zone. I just simply asked you something, and it was a rhetorical question because all of us in here got biases. Everybody in here has prejudices. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Some of y'all are like, I'm going to meet you out back. Okay. <laughs> because as a church, this is where I'm trying to get us to. At this point, I have to get us to the point where our will is lined up with the will of God. So how do I get to the point where we have two wills that are willing and yet one will that is willed? How do I get to the point Well, God, what you will is what I will. And now, God, what I'm willing is because this is what you will. And so now our wills are congruent because I've learned that when I walk in the will of God, that's when the blessings of God overflow and overtake me. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I want to walk in the blessings of God. I'm already living in the overflow of life. I tell folk all the time, I don't need to be the cup. I'm the saucer. Amen. See, my life has been so good with God. Amen. That I don't need to be the cup that hold everything. I just let God, just let me be the saucer that take hold of all the overflow. And so whatever blessings other folk don't want, I walk close to you just to to catch the one that fall out your pocket. If you don't want the blessing that God has for you, amen, I want it for myself. Amen. I'm not trying to be selfish. I just want to be blessed. I want to be wherever God is. I don't want to be where God was. So how do I do this? How do I move from one place to another? See, because it's right here found in verse 35. When they asked Jesus, Jesus, your mother and your brother and your sister are out there and they sent word because they thought you crazy. And so they came in because they wanted to stop Jesus from from doing what he was doing. See, they wanted to stop Jesus uh, from healing folk. Yeah, they, they wanted to stop Jesus from, 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 from messing with the, or, or, or healing the woman at the well. They wanted to stop Jesus, come on now, from, from talking and healing the homeless. They wanted to talk, come on now. They wanted to arrest and control Jesus. We don't want you talking to people who don't look like us. No, we wanted to control Jesus. We don't want them in our sanctuary. We wanted to control Jesus. Those are not out of the hymnal. We want to control Jesus. Come on now, y'all know I'm right. If you can't say amen, you might as well say ouch. See, because what's important is that God is trying to get us to align our minds and our lives up with what God is doing in this place. Are you with me? So how do I move? How do I move from one place to another? First of all, he says that whosoever will do the will of God, it belongs to my family. And how many of you want to be in the family of God? All right, that's two or three, y'all. All right. 
And so let me help you out then, those two or three who want to be in the will of God. What will get us there is the ability of God to change the way we think and to change the way we feel. The way God does it is he always arrests us. He always takes us into places and spaces where we're uncomfortable. He'll bring somebody in your life, and when you try to blow that one off, he'll bring another kind, the same one. And then when you don't want to listen to that one, he'll bring another one. And after a while, he says, you'll get it in a moment. After a while, you'll get that it's me trying to now arrest you. See, because if I can arrest your attention, then I can arouse your conscience. See, if I can arrest your attention to get you focused on me rather than you, then I will arouse your conscience. I will stir up and I will mess up. Amen. I'll mess up your theology because God is good at messing up folk theology. All right. All right. I'm a land. I'm a land in three minutes. All right. I, no, I heard it. I heard the bell ring. I heard, I heard the, the flight attendants begin to go around and, and taking all the garbage and all of that. And that lets me know when I'm sitting on the plane, amen, that we're about to land, right? And so I'm looking at y'all's faces, amen, and I heard the ding, and my flight attendant walked through the aisle, and she says, uh, can I have all of your paper and disconnect all of your electronics, amen, because we're getting ready to land. So I'm just sitting there letting you know, disconnect everything because we're getting ready to land. But I want to give you this before I take my seat. He says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. One of the things I'm, I'm learning with God is that I don't always want to do what God tells me to do. And I've learned at times, there are some folk and I, that I thought I, had, I thought I had made it through. I thought I had made it over. I thought there were some attitudes and people that I was cool with. Amen. But then, you know, you get confronted because God has a way of confronting us in our dark places. Anybody have one of those closets or drawers at your house where you hide all your stuff? Right? Is the closet or the room you don't let nobody go into? It's the drawer you say, don't look in that one. Amen, right? We all, I believe we all have something like that. And that's the very room that God goes into. That's the very drawer that God looks into. God goes in that place where all of our dirty little secrets are there. He goes into the, the closets of our lives. And God said, you're trying to hide, but I'm trying to come in because this will keep you tethered to your past. This will keep you in bondage. But if you're going to be my child, then I, now you have to learn to have a heart just like I, I have. So God, how do I get your heart? He says, you have to learn how to grow with me every day. Every day you have to spend time with me so I can work on your heart and your mind. Every day you got to renew your mind in the promises of God. Every day, amen, you want to be better because you have to acknowledge, God, I'm not there yet. Maybe, God, I can't love like you want me to love. Or maybe, God, I don't feel like going to that place. Or, God, I still got a problem with the homeless. Or, God, I still have a problem with this culture. Or, God, I still have a problem in the way that I'm thinking. So, God, please help me in this moment. And when you ask God to help you, God will come in and he will fill your spirit. He will give you all the help that you need. But you have to learn how to ask God for help. 
You have to learn how to humble yourself saying, God, my will right now is not lined up your will. So God, take me to the garden of Gethsemane the way you took Jesus and then say, God, not my will. Come on now, but thy will be done. Since sometimes you got to pray three times like Jesus prayed, Lord, if this cup can be removed, God, would you please take it from me? Amen. And even when he tells you not at this moment, you got to keep on persevering in prayer because you want the heart of God. You want to be called a child of God. You want to love like God loves and you want to forgive like God forgives and you want to be patient the way God is patient. And so you need the heart of God. You want to be changed so I can move past the change. That is, I want to transition from the way I used to think now to the way God wants me to think. I'm laying down my past life and now I'm embracing the newness that Jesus has brought because contrary to popular opinion the Jesus of the Bible is an irresistible Jesus the Jesus of the Bible he goes among the sick he goes among the prisons he goes among those who have all kinds of malady he goes around the the, the oppressed he goes to the marginalized come on now folk always talking about it's a social gospel all gospel is social no gospel happens in a vacuum it all happens in society so all gospel is social whenever somebody say they don't like a social gospel it is them trying to put up a barrier and and justify why they won't do what god called them to do you might as well say amen or say ouch see all all the gospel the bible says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Your scripture in John 1.12, I believe is the message where now Jesus comes and lives in the neighborhood. Yes. Yes. He's going to come in ways that you don't think he's coming. He's going to minister with people that you wouldn't minister with. He'll take you places, take you in spaces. He's going to do something that will blow your mind. And only those who have the heart for God will humble themselves and embrace what next door is all about. Because there is a blessing as you walk through the threshold. There's a blessing on the other side. Do not allow somebody else to steal your joy. God loves you. He loves this church. He has big plans for this church. But you got to align yourself with what God is doing so he can get it done. Amen? Amen. I'm, that's my stuff. I'm through. I'm through.